0: Hi everyone, welcome to the latest episode of the Nordic Football Podcast. I am Steve Wiss and I'm with Jonathan Faduba as ever. How are you doing, Jonathan? It's been a few weeks since our last main episode, but we're back now with a bang. Hope you're doing well over there.
1: Hi, Steve. Hi, everybody. Good to be on the show. I'm looking forward to this one as always. It's always a pleasure uh, being in the studio with you, Steve um, big week really, isn't it? We've had a lot of stuff going on in our leagues. Uh, title races closing in now um, in both countries, Norway and Sweden. But we've got some massive breaking news, haven't we, which we're going to sort of um, delve on. We get this every now and then, don't we, Steve? Sort of uh, some some news pops up out of nowhere. Uh, some might remember a couple of months ago Milete Rajovic, a uh, big move to Watford, went through. And that we dedicated some time to that to sort of feed the Watford fans. But I guess you, you'll be the man to break the news. And then we're going to have a little analysis of the big breaking news tonight in Sweden.
0: You know, it's uncanny, isn't it? How many times we record on the same night that, like, some really big breaking news takes place. And this is once again, um, you know, this wasn't part of the itinerary last night, was it? Let's just say that one. But Marty Sifuentes, the Hammerby manager, has been appointed by QPR as their new boss. He takes over from Gareth Ainsworth. And um, I mean, this is certainly not something I expected, really, because uh, although Sifuentes has been linked with some jobs, especially in Scotland. Uh, I think Aberdeen were linked with him regularly, the likes of Hearts, those sort of clubs. I certainly didn't expect an English Championship side to come in straight for Marty Siffuentes, but he's there. He's going to be uh, tasked with a tough, tough job, I think, at QPR. And um, you know, we've had a barrage of questions about him, um, too many to mention. You might ma- uh, mention some specific uh, questions here, Jonathan, but everyone wants to know basically about Marty Siffuentes. What sort of manager are QPR getting here? Let's start with, um, you know, the general tactical side. Are we going to, is this sort of a, a defensive manager? Is he going to steady the ship? Is he someone that is known for being good with youth? Or is he going to be one of these gung-ho attack-minded creatures? What do you think, John?
1: Yeah, good questions. And I think we have to sort of start by giving a bit of context behind the news because uh, we, we we can't ignore, before delving into who is he, we can't ignore the circumstances of this. I mean, this news broke, Steve, um, today afternoon, actually, around 2pm on the day of recording obviously Monday, 30th of October. It was announced that uh, Sky actually announced, Sky's was News, that he was a candidate to replace the departing Gareth Ainsworth. A lot of the rumours were kind of linking him with other other names as well, linking QPR with other names. Um, and this has progressed, Steve, really, really quickly. So quickly, in fact, that Marty Cifuentes, uh, the news actually leaked to the players before he'd actually had a chance to tell them. That it was a done deal. Now I think the you know the writing's been on the wall here, Stephen from being honest. It feels this feels to me like a manager who's been touting himself around, uh, maybe via various agents and things like that. I get the feeling that as you mentioned just there, his name's been kind of touted around quite a bit recently. Um this season really actually because partly because of the situation at Hammondby and partly because he's quite an ambitious manager, which we'll come on to. But um yeah literally you know, the news broke that he was a candidate and then by literally 7pm he was announced as, a, as the manager of QPR to replace Ainsworth. QPR obviously struggling at the moment in the championship, not having the best of times. Ainsworth went there, has had a mixed mixed fortunes. Um, the irony of this game was, Steve, that Hammondby actually played a game today. So it's been announced on the day in the middle of their match um, with Sirius, who they played tonight. They drew two, or well, they were 2 nil up and threw away a two-goal lead. So maybe there's, a you know, an element of that in it. And if that's his final game... Um, then you know it will obviously you know not 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 the best way to go out really throwing away a two goal lead late. But uh yeah, so essentially Marty came out after the match and said to the media that he he's sorry for the way it broke. Um he planned to tell the players of course but because of the it will leak, some of the players actually called him were asking him before the match, like what's happening? Are you staying? Are you going? Um he was asked before the match like what's your situation and he, he told the media like no comment. But it was clear that he didn't deny it and there was obviously something going on and for it to be announced like it has been, it's quite a shock, really. Uh, it just literally got announced on Twitter. Do you think the players it.
0: found out in the in the 90th minute and then decide to mail it in, considering the finish of the game? Because this, the game looked good, looked done. Um, I, I mean, I know you actually kind of tipped them on the weekend bonus preview show we did now, and I was thinking, that's looking good for Jonathan. And then Sirius come up with... I mean, it's not the first time Sirius have done this, actually, recently. Two goals in stoppage time. But, um, yeah, my Marty Sifuentes is you know that what what sort of manager are you behind ultimately getting here do you think in terms of let's, let's talk about the tactics of the manager
1: yeah i think you know let, let's take a little bit of context on him he's um, he's an ambitious manager you know he's a spanish player manager who's obviously uh, he's been around for quite a while he's you know um, 41 years old now as i say he's from spain he's generally a 433 kind of star manager um, and he's now been in charge of Hammerby for 72 matches, which is um, his second largest stint as a first-team manager. He's also been at Sanderfield in Norway and Arborg in Denmark, so he's done the full rounds. Um, in terms of points per game, according to Transfermarkt, this is the most successful he's been as a head coach, uh, 1.79 points per game at Um and he's been there since, obviously, 2022 season, uh, January, so, you know, coming up to two years now, basically. But um, I think all in all, I don't know how he's going to be sort of looked upon when he leaves Hammerby. I don't, you know, with the greatest respect to him, I don't know if he's really fulfilled the potential that maybe some might have um, thought he would. I would describe it as not really partly his fault. I think I think part of it is because of the ambitions of Hammerby, which we've talked about along this podcast, Steve. We've said that, um, you know, what do Hammerby really want to achieve this season? And they're kind of, they're not really challenging for the title. They're kind of up at mid-table, aren't they? And um, they are a big club. They're one of the biggest clubs in Sweden in terms of, Attendances. They're one of the biggest, big three. Uh, they get really strong attendances in Stockholm. But they're always a club. I've likened them in the past to kind of spurs. You know, they're a bit like, when it comes to it, they flop. Um, they've been in a few title races over the past few years. And, and they play nice football, good, attractive sort of style of play. But they tend to sort of let you down when it counts. And um, Sifuentes was sort of brought in to change that. But he hasn't really done that, to be honest. I think they have they have still flopped in on occasions. You know, before he joined, they were very entertaining uh, attacking side and when he joined he continued that he's a 4-3-3 man um, I think tactically he is very astute and he is very clever and he's a good sort of um, one-to-one manager and coach you know last season he had um, about a year ago or so he had a r- problem with his father passing away and that was a really tragic part part of the story at Hammersburg you know he had to deal with that and manage whilst dealing with obviously, the passing of his father which he, he spoke about openly and it was quite an emotional time for him uh, and he got through that you know with admirable quality but I think The expectations of Hammerby have kind of fluctuated over the past year or so. Um, You'd think there'd be a club challenging for titles, but they just haven't been. And a lot of that is because of the academy system at Hammerby. They bring in a lot of young players. They buy a lot of young players and then sell them on. They're very sort of um, proactive in the transfer market. And their main model of operation really is to make a profit in transfers, I think, really. And sometimes it's like that sporting ambition versus, you know, selling players on. Because sometimes they sell players too early when they, you know, to be able to sustain a, a title challenge. But yeah, he's a four-three-three man. I would say, he's, you know, he's that kind of Spanish style of play. You know, juega de posición. He likes playing um, kind of uh, passing. He's a very theory. technical.
0: He's a very technical manager. I mean, I've seen him a lot at sanderfield One thing that I always will say from his time there, and I'm not entirely sure if this continued at Hammerby, is that he definitely um, coaches players players upwards, as in. You know, there's certain managers in the game who are not necessarily known for improving a player's level. But this guy is definitely, um, I've seen, you know, he's dramatically improved players under his disposal. Whether that's him or him and his coaching team as well, you've got to give them some credit. But I think this, I, I mean, it's like chalk and cheese. Gareth Ainsworth and Mar- from, from Gareth Ainsworth to Marty Sifuentes, is like going from night to day. This is like, you know, when Leeds hide Bielsa, really. It's it's a massive change at QPR. Um, you know, there will be some QPR fans listening and wondering, you know, genuinely asking who the hell is Marty Sifuentes. Some will think, oh, no, we've gone down this route. We've gone down an unknown manager route. But they are getting a very, very good technical manager. They can expect some good football on the ground, can't they?
1: Yeah, and I think you make a good point there you know, in terms of developing players. And um I think that's one thing that QPR fans could be quite excited about because they've got some players in their squad. I mean, there's a player at QPR who I really like and I've actually tweeted about two years ago. Uh, Sinclair Armstrong is a forward who I, I think will play in the Premier League one day. Uh, he's a young talent at QPR, Irish youngster, and I've seen him play in non-league in my work as a consultant in non-league. And um, he's he, when I saw him playing non-league for uh, older shot, I, was, I said he's going to play Premier League football one day, and he's already now a regular in the Championship. And I'm interested to see how someone like Sifuentes can manage that kind of player, because he's a real talent. Now, when you say that, Steve, you're mot- automatically an example that Swedish fans will think about is Nahir Basara. Now, for, for me, he's a fantastic example of Sifuentes developing a player because Basara was sort of a player who's been around the blocks in Sweden. He's been abroad, come back. He's been at Orbro had a middling career. Um, and Sifuentes turned him into the best player at Hammondby, basically turned him into the main man, creative fulcrum. And he really blossomed in his older years, really, to be honest, he's, you know, in his thirties now. And he's really, really blossomed as a player, become their main attacking fulcrum. And I think he actually got the best out of Basara as a player, um Sifuentes. And there's also been a lot of players he's developed that have moved on. Let's talk about William Swedberg, for example, who went to Celta Vigo for a nearly a record transfer. There's been a lot of other players that he's developed at Hammerby that have gone on to big, big moves, partly because of their talent identification, but of course Sifuentes is managing them day-to-day on the coaching ground. So I think that is a key element of what he might look to do at QPR. I think QPR fans can expect a more enterprising style. I think he will be much more um aggressive sort of in terms of attacking football than Gareth Ainsworth. Gareth Ainsworth, everybody knows. He has a set style of play. I think Sifuentes will try and be a bit more enterprising, a bit more um, expansive. Um, but Basara is a great example. And Basara actually came out uh, after the game today, Stephen, and said that he's really going to miss um, working with Marty Sifuentes. He said that he's got the best out of me, and he said that he's learned the most he's learned in his career tactically. He said he's really learned a lot in terms of tactical perspective. So I think you are right to point, point out there that he we're dealing with a coach who's got a lot of ideas. Um, puts on in a lot of work in the training ground. And there's a quote, direct quote as well saying that he's never known a coach that works harder than Martis Fuentes. So I think from that point of view, QPR fans can be pretty excited. And as I say, it's big breaking news. I think the only thing is in terms of Hamby fans, if they were looking at it, will they really miss him? I mean, we had some comments on Twitter, some, some people saying, yeah, it was the right time for him to leave maybe. And I think there's a, maybe a feeling that he has had one eye on the exit door this season at times. Um, there's the famous, obviously, cup final, which they they lost. Uh, and little incidents like that. So um yeah, I think all in all, you know, it's not been an amazing few years for Hammerby, but I think Sefuentes has, has basically dragged out as much as he could from the squad without maybe challenging uh for a title. I mean, just switching it over to um who might replace him. I don't know if you want to have that conversation now. There was a
0: question from I mean Sponshi. Um yeah, at Sponshi on Twitter, who would be the I who would be the ideal replacement for Marty Cifuentes at Hammerby. You're actually right, Jonathan, that um, in terms of their league position the last couple of years, it's not like they've been achieving miracles at Hammerby or anything. So it might be. There was even a comment, I think, uh, I think it was Luis Almeida said it's it's a good move for both parties um, to move on. So who do you think is a good replacement for uh, Hammerby?
1: Yeah, and that's what I mean, really, about the feeling maybe in Sweden is that it's not necessarily. I think there's certain managers where, you know, you're gutted to lose them if you get what I mean. I think for Hammerby they're probably going to be a feeling like it's the right time for all parties. Uh, they're sixth in the league this season, and I have to say, Stephen, maybe if QPR fans are listening or others are listening, I, I think that ha- I think might, Sorry, I think that what uh, QPR may have missed the trick here because, in my personal opinion, Kim Helberg is the best manager in the league this season, um, maybe besides Jimmy Telling at Ellsborg. But I think Kim Helberg is going to be onto big things, and he's the he's the one who's been tipped at the moment to replace if Winters at Hammondby. Now, Kim Helberg at Varnamo who are currently fifth in the league. Now, this is a team with the smallest um, budget, one of the smallest budgets in the league. Uh, as of last year, they only had two full-time staff. We had their assistant manager on the podcast, David Cellini, last season. You can go back and listen to that in the archives about a year ago. And. Um, the tactical work that Jimmy, sorry, the tactical work that David Cellini and Kil Helberg have done at, at, uh, at Varnemoe has not, been nothing short sure of outstanding. They actually post a lot of their clips, training ground clips, on how they improve players on Twitter. So if you follow David Salini, you can actually see some of their training ground work, and it's really inspirational. Um, and I think if Hammerby were to, I think Hammerby should go all out to get uh, Kim Helberg as their new manager. The reports are that he's on an expiring contract. He's not signed a new deal at Varnamo, There's rumours that he may want to leave. I think he's one of the next big coaches in European football, um, similar to sort of a Graham Potter type. He's basically done the job of Graham Potter at Varnemar because Osterson's is a very similar kind of um, model, you know, up through the leagues. Obviously he, he joined um, when they were promoted, uh, but he's really revolutionised their style of play, kept them up. And now in the second season in gun ever, they finished, they're about to finish maybe fifth or top six, which is absolutely incredible for their budget. Every player he works with, he's developed. So um, yeah, I think that Hammerby are going to go all out to get him. I want. I, w- I do wonder if you know for QPR or someone like that might eventually take him as well. I think he could go on to play uh, manage abroad. But uh, in terms of Mighty point says, I think it's a it's a good move for him. Fantastic career move. As I say, it, he does have that ambition to coach at a higher level. So I think he'll be really wanting to grab this opportunity with both hands. He will. I do think he can manage in the championship. Don't think it's too big an ask for him. I think he will probably grow with that opportunity. So. I think he's good enough in terms of his managerial ability to get this chance I think he deserves it but at the same time he kind of does leave Hammerby with a sense of like maybe didn't quite achieve as much as he would would have wanted to achieve maybe when he took the job
0: why is it so hard to achieve things at Hammerby I don't think they wouldn't win the the league for a long time in fact I think they've only ever won it once maybe in their whole in their whole lifetime I think they they did win a cup in the last decade um I'll need to check this actually but um they're actually a really big club though, aren't they? You feel like the potential's there for them. You know, there's no reason why they can't, you know, compete with the likes of Ike or Jörgarten, you know, to be the best club in Stockholm. So um, just just explain why it's such a challenging club and why it will still be a challenge for anyone new coming in, because ultimately they they've been this selling club in recent years as well, which doesn't help stability.
1: Yeah, I think they're just sort of a sleeping giant. I mean, we've seen Tottenham Hotspur this season, you know, we talk about them, but they're they're top of the league in the Premier League at the moment. And maybe it's a similar situation. I, I said they're kind of the, the Tottenham of Wolfsvenska. Of maybe, maybe they're the kind of waiting for a big manager to come in and completely rejuvenate the club. They've got the infrastructure, they've got the fan base, they've got the scouting capabilities. But as you say, I think one thing I have questioned about Hammerby in recent years is what's the direction of the club? What do they actually want to achieve? Do they want to win titles? Um, and I, I I don't see that in in their general direction that they go. They sign a lot of players. Um, they went into the season I think with one of the youngest average ages uh, in this in the league, and that's kind of part of the problem. It's like they they kind of um. You know, is the focus kind of just on selling players really and developing them and selling them? They sell players quite early as well. They tend to give them six months maybe. Sometimes there's been players, Steve. You know, you remember certain cases like Kostenu, for example. I think. Play like four or five games. There's, I don't know if it was exactly costing me, but they've been players in the past that have played five, six games for having been left. Um, so they, I think they're quite driven by market forces. I don't think they're really in control of their transfers at times, or maybe that is their remit. You know, you look at some clubs who have a sporting sporting priority, teams like Malmo and 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 others. Hakan in recent years, you know, they, they've had a sporting priority. They 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 want to sell players as well and trade, but their priority is to win titles. haven't really seen that from Hammerby in recent years and um that's maybe where they're going wrong a little bit but it's a massive opportunity it's a massive club as I said they average around 20,000 attendance per game so they have they have a really big fan base that's in terms of Swedish football that's quite high. they're they're in Stockholm they're one of the Stockholm big three but they are kind of looked upon as like the little brother of the Stockholm three you know they've got AIK you've got your garden and then you sort of got Hammerby kind of underneath them and um Although they do have success in the derbies at times, they're kind of looked at as that little brother who don't really challenge. I think they need to change that really, and um, you know they're miles ahead of AOK this season because AOK have had a really bad year. But you know they're not; they still need to they still need to address that. I think it's a big club, and um, I think Helberg, if he does get the role, or if someone like that gets the role, their challenge is going to be let's get them fighting for titles because they, you know, you're yeah. going the league. You're going to have won the league in the last five years. Okay, won the league in the last five years, but Hammerby haven't won the league uh, for a very long time.
0: It's like Jurgen and Icor do have well f- fairly regular down years, but they have some strong up years as well. When when they're up there, they do win titles. Just one uh, title for Hammerby that was two thousand and one, and one Swedish Cup that was twenty. That was just a couple of years ago 2020, 2021. So they do lack silverware, but uh, interesting case to follow. Um, they're not going to win the title this season, but one of two teams now will be lifting uh, the Osvenskan gold medal, and it's going to be Elfsborg or Malmo. Both sides did have victories this weekend, dramatic wins. Uh, certainly, only one place to start, and that was in Gothenburg Monday evening. EF Corps against Elfsborg. Um, you know, the pressure is on them. Malmo did win the day before. Talk us through this game, Jonathan, a really big three points for for El Spor.
1: Yeah, they're closing in on the title. Uh, Two more games. Uh, If they win both, they'll be champions. And they don't even need to win both, to be honest, because obviously uh, they play Malmo on the last day, so they could win the next game and draw and win the league. So, um, yeah, they're in a really good position uh, to potentially pick up their first title in many years. Um, The game itself, EF Corps, Jotterberg was a really hot atmosphere at the start of this match. Uh, I mentioned it on the weekend preview show on Patreon for our Patreon listeners. I, I mentioned this will be a hot atmosphere. Um, yeah, of course, he's fighting, still fighting to stay in the league, and um, Elfsborg kind of go for the title. So it's not quite a derby, but it's a local rivalry. You know, I, I mentioned on the weekend preview show, it's a bit like Palace Brighton, I would say, in in terms of rivalry. It's not necessarily local derby, but there is that kind of little bit of enmity, which um, created the atmosphere. And, yeah, it was it was a fiery game. Settled down a bit, and then elsborg took the lead. Uh, went 1-0 up, uh, pair Frick. And then um, EF equalised, actually, in the second half. And it looked like they were going to get a point. Really gave them a challenge. There was a crunching tackle that maybe there was talk about, should this have been a red card for Ellsburg. Uh Sorry for EF Core actually. They, they kind of maybe got away with one there. Um, but it didn't matter in the end because uh, the substitute, bernhardson came on. And he scored an absolute beauty. I was trying to think of who does it remind me of. It was like a Gareth Bale strike or a Perisic or someone like that kind of reminded me of that. Just a sweet left-footed shot. Uh, he dispossessed, the, I think it was, I can't remember who it was now, the number six anyway. Says- I didn't
0: expect him to shoot. I thought he was going to play the pass in on the left-hand side, but he went for the shot. I think he caught a few out.
1: Yeah, he dispossessed uh, the number six for EF Corps, uh, who was on as a sub. It was a poor poor move, actually. Poor, um, Poor defending. From uh, Tronson, actually. and Tronson, who'd come on as a sub. He robbed him. He turned. He cut inside, outside the box. Shimmy past one, shimmy past another. Created himself half a yard of space and absolutely walloped it bottom left corner. Kind of gold at wins the title, Steve. And uh, the celebrations after the game were really, they were loving it. I did say on the weekend preview show, if we will win this, expect to see some big scenes in the crowd. And uh, that's what we got because obviously the fans travelled. It's not too far away. And uh, the, the players were loving it. And rubbing it well, in the, the- F4's face and also potentially relegating them is also just an added cherry on top of the ice icing. So, um, I think that there's a massive win for Elsborg. Their next game is Fours at home. If they win that, they're very close to the top. But one thing you have to say, Steve, you have to give credit to Malma who is still in it. Because, uh, if it did go down to the last day, Steve, I think the last thing Elsborg want to be doing is playing Malma. So, watch this space.
0: Yeah, it's um, it, yeah, you're right. There was a lot of uh, all I kept seeing the TV cameras kept panning to Johan Larsen, who he was subbed off in the 83rd minute. And they kept, I don't know why he didn't go to the bench or anywhere, he was just standing up. And I, for a minute, I thought, has he been sent off here or something? Um, he was you know, that's everyone kept focusing on him, the captain, the main man, and he was loving it at the end uh, when they won when they the match. I didn't see, I honestly didn't see EF Core equalizing, they didn't, um. It didn't look like it, uh, but they got, a uh, you know, they managed to get that that leveler, And then that's a big goal for Elvesborg because now if Malmo don't beat Hecken away and it's half past. So it's a 2 p.m. kickoff time, um, UK on um, on the 5th of November. Then Elvesborg will know if they beat Force a couple of hours later, they're champions. So the pressure is massively on Malmo now. They've got to go to Hecken and win. To, to, to guarantee themselves going into the final game of the season. So, uh, yeah, they did get a good win there themselves. 1-0 at North Shipping, can be a tough place to go. Uh, uh, Isaac keita telling came up with... Uh, he'd been on a bit of a dry run, uh, but he, they got a 1-0 win. And that just is so Malmo, isn't it? You know, I think um, when they're the best this season, that defence has been keeping clean sheets.
1: Yeah, they're hanging in there. And, you know, I think the, the feeling uh amongst the elfborg players is that they're still the underdogs. You know, um Nicholas Hulk has come out and said, you know, loads of people still don't believe in us. I think we have to give Elfborg massive credit by the way, because they they, they it was a really another another professional job. You know, going to EF course not easy. I mean they 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 batted Hacken, for example uh EF I know they're not having a good season but it's still quite a tough place to go really especially uh, when they're sort of fighting to stay up stay alive. Um and I think Ellsberg will show a lot of maturity that a lot of people didn't expect. You know, and he he said, uh, we've always been underdogs here, no matter what year it is, and we'll enjoy it. And uh, Jimmy Tannen also came out and said that the squad's calm, you know, there's still points to play for. Um, and no one's really, I think Jimmy Tennant has to take a lot of credit because he's he's kept a very relaxed group. I haven't seen them panic yet. I haven't really seen them sort of get carried away. And I think that's been one of their biggest strengths. They've got quite an old squad. You know, there's a lot of experience there, like Larson, like you said, Holt. There is a lot of maturity in that in that team, and uh, they, they do play in a mature way. Actually, the way they controlled some of the some of the E F Core game tonight in Gothenburg was uh, really impressive. I would say that um, Malmo they just keep plugging away, and like you say, the, the the defense has kind of been what's carried them through. I think that um, I think that uh, the manager has has as although he's implemented his style from Kalmar, <clears throat> I wouldn't necessarily say that it's worked on all cylinders. They have got the best possession stats. But I still think that the <clears throat> they haven't quite got the balance in terms of the attacking strengths. I mean, I saw a, I saw a comment um, earlier today on Twitter, someone saying that is this one of the worst years ever for goal scorers in the OSFence game, because I think Keith Tellin scored his 13th goal of the season, Steve. Um, this you know, this weekend. And he's the top scorer in the league after 28 games. That's a surprise, it isn't it? Pretty poor, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are mitigating game factors for that, which I could explain if you do ask, but um <clears throat> I think that um, my point is that Malmo, you know, although they're, they're sort of hanging in there, it's not like they've got a 20-goal forward. It's not like they have, like, flying attackers who are doing everything. Everyone's put in their fair share of the work. Nanasi, um, Vecchia, Taha Ali. They have got a lot of players in that team. But there's no, like, main star. They're not ripping teams apart very often. Even even some teams like Varberg Boys, they didn't really batter them. So, um, but at the end of the day, the thing with Malmo is it's Malmo. And if they... You know, they're going to be like a tiger waiting to pounce. And if they can beat Hacken in this, in next week, I think they're going to go into that Elsborg game quietly confident of, like, of basically, like, WWE, you know, money in the bank, steal steal the title on the last day and run off. And I think that is something that would maybe play into Elsborg's minds if it did come to that.
0: Yes, um, that's a big game next week. Hacken against uh, Malmo and, you know, Malmo have to win it. To, to guarantee themselves a shot. into it. It's still in the hands of both sides. If they win the, both their last two games, they're the champion. So it, it's kind of good for both at the moment. That's a tough game, though. Although Hecken now, um, you know, will there be a soft opposition? They're out of the title race. They they had a dis- disappointing loss to, to Mialbi. Um, didn't surprise me, this one, on the back of a Europa League game. They, they were well outplayed. um They still need a couple of points to guarantee third place, though. So they're fighting for that. They have the best home record in Ausvenskin 13 wins out of 14. So I can't imagine Marmo gonna have that match handed to them on a plate, are they? But Hecken, the game's done. The defence of their title is now over. Um are they gonna be bang up for this game though still?
1: I think they're a professional outfit and they they'll want to be Malmo. I don't think I don't think they're gonna sort of rein it in. <clears throat> and I don't, I don't think they really have an incentive to either. there's not a real hatred between Hacken and Ellsborg so I don't think it's gonna be a case of like you know, we've seen in Serie A or leagues like that where you want to stop your rivals from winning a league. I don't, I don't think it's going to be that kind of thing. Um, you know, we talked just now about the lack of goal scorers. I mean, when we're looking at Hakan, I think that there's a reason that there hasn't been that really top big goal scorer in the league this season. You know, um, in terms of the Golden Boot, and that's because the players who were going for that Golden Boot have left the league. Um, I think Benny Travi would have 20 goals if he was still playing in Osbensen this season at least. So, you know he's now sort of on the bench at Sheffield United. I saw him playing in the 23s game a few weeks ago. So, you know, massive move for his family in the future, but obviously on a, from a sporting point of view, could he have waited six more months? Um, I know that football's not that doesn't really work that way, he probably doesn't have a choice, but, um, you know, money talks, I guess, and Hakan have taken the money, but I think that that's where they've been let down. <clears throat> I did say on the weekend preview show, I think that the reason that they, um, have lost this title is because they sold Troy three weeks too, too early. um, Ibrahim Sadiq as well leaving. And I just think they didn't, that, that two or three week period where they didn't have a replacement with Hurstich with finally coming in, and he didn't really do much until they got Chalufia. I think that is what's cost them the title. I, I personally think it's a bit of a shame, actually, because I think they could have won the league if Troy had stayed for three more weeks. I genuinely do feel that um, because they were still ripping teams apart until uh, Sadiq. Obviously, Sadiq had his injury problems as well. So that was another factor that maybe cost him in certain matches. And he's gone to. He's obviously left the league now. As away, well.
0: It's the away away record, John. Ninth best away record. Eight eight teams have a better away record than Hecken in Svenskin this season. And I need. I'm going to do my maths on this at some point. But I do wonder what their record is on a grass surface, because every time I see them on a grass pitch, they just seem to really struggle. And um, yeah, I think for me that's a big difference this season. Of course, it would have helped if they had. You know, they're the best players all season. I'm sure. So what would you done. say?
1: What would you say then is the difference? Because footballers grow up playing on grass, right? If, you're, if your stadium surface is artificial or hybrid, surely you should be able, still able to play on grass. Or what do you think is the impact of that?
0: I just I think the artificial surfaces in Scandinavia promote better attacking football, um, no doubt about it. There'll be people listening to me shaking their heads, saying everything should be played on grass, but, and I'm, I'm fully agree with that, but only if the grass surface is really good. Um, it's a bit like cricket as well, you know. If the pitch is a good pitch, it promotes really good uh, performances from with bat, batsmen and bowlers. Same with football, in my opinion. I think I'll give you an example. The artificial, I think, at the Hacking Stadium. Is is a really good one. There's some great attacking play that uh, occurs. If you watch that Molderheken game the other night, again the, the Acker Stadion just promote a lot of goals and a lot of stuff. But some of these fields in in can, can be a bit dug up. You know, you go to places like how I said, you go to places like, um, you know, I think I didn't actually see the Mjölbjö game. Mjölbjö is a grass surface, isn't it? I think. Um, but you know, places like you know Gothenburg. Um, you know, there's some tough places to go, mate, and uh, I, I do wonder if they're just so used to performing on on their home surface that when they go, it can get a bit mental as well. When they go, oh, here we go again. This is not our sort of surface. Um, but I mean, they were so strong away from home last season. It might just be a case of you know one of those years they just not, they haven't travelled well. So I don't know.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. <clears throat> you know, I don't. I mean, it's hard for me to analyse it to be honest because I'm not entirely sure. But one thing I would say is that Hacken had the best away record last season in the league. That's mm. part of the reason they won the league, and I think that's why I come back to players because Hacken were the team that could go to other other leagues, other teams, so stadiums and, and bat them. And uh, the counter-attacking play they had last season, you know, they would draw teams in and then hit them on the break with such speed and force that teams couldn't handle it, and that's why they didn't lose. They didn't lose a single game away from home last season, Steve. So, is it balancing out? Is it the fact that the, the artificial surface they haven't been able to deal with it? Well. Those same players, but more or less by and large, dealt with it last year fine. Um, but I think a lot of it is down to the fact that, like, literally, they've, they've taken out off the ball in some of the games. And then I also think that, like you said, the away games, <clears throat> quite a few of them have been after after European matches. And you know they've lost against Mialbi after playing Europa League. They've lost other games this season after playing Europa League and Champions League qualifiers. Uh, the Varnamo game sticks in my mind as a game that were really off it, and I think they played in Europe that week if I remember rightly. I think the, the European campaign is just massively affected and they don't really have the squad. They don't have the experience. And like I say, they've sold a couple of players just a little, literally just a few weeks too early. They should have maybe had Chilofia in when Chiara left and that might have saved them. But uh, at the end of the day, they'd only have won the league once in their history. hacking last year? That was their first ever time. So to go back to back was always maybe a, quite a big ask for a club of their size. But I do actually think that they they might have a little bit of regret when the season ends that they didn't quite keep in it because I think they could have won the title. All
0: right, well, let's move into the relegation battle talk then uh, before we finish the Swedish section. And just a quick shout-out before we talk about this. One of the the pre-season favourites for relegation were Varnamo. They're up as high as fifth. I mean, they are an unbelievable story. I'm sure we're going to have to give them a significant segment of uh, of our podcast at some point, probably in a future episode, especially if they do end up finishing fifth. So well done to them, a great run. But down at the bottom, some miserable results again. Um, I mean, these three teams, four now really, EF Core on a bad run suddenly. But Varberg, I mean, we knew they'd gone and Degaforz played out a one-all draw. I actually watched this game. <laughs> you wouldn't believe it, Jonathan. Um, I, had, I had my eye on this game and I think both were just really poor, they just can't finish chances uh, Broma can have lost again, uh, but they are the team currently favourite to be in the playoff. You, you just wonder if Degafor is going to get another victory um, EF Core aren't safe although they've got a much better goal difference down there at the moment um, it often seems to be the case at this stage of the season, but it's a miserable looking table down there in the bottom three, John
1: yeah, I mean it, uh, it's miserable for the teams that are down there. I mean Degafor's, are uh, I thought they'd get out of it to be honest, Degafor's, and I'm a little bit surprised now with two games to go that they're they're still um as a s it stands, they're going down automatically, which is a big worry. Warburg are already gone. Um Brom and Poik and I are really worry for. I think they're just on a losing cycle and I can't see them stopping the rot really. I, I've got a feeling that um I think one of Poygin or Degafor's is going to get automatically relegated, and I think the other one will go into the playoff. I think, I think EF think are just about safe. Massive game this week, EF Corps or OE Corp, by the way. You know, OE Corps pretty much survived, but I think it's like by the skin of their teeth. I think they've been quite poor. Another poor result this weekend, One all against Halmstad. Good result for both teams in a way, because Halmstad, you know, that point, it makes it a five-point gap now from the uh, relegation playoff you know, and they can't be automatically relegated. So that was a, that was a big result for both of them, really. But, you know, we, should be doing slightly better, in my opinion. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we're down to sort of five teams now, or four teams, really, um, realistically. Yeah, of course, still not out of it. I think, you know, they, they only need one more win uh, to, to be sort of guaranteed. But, you know, another defeat this weekend. And, um, yeah, I think... I think the game this weekend, obviously, elzberg Degerfors is massive, but I, I worried for Degerfors. Can they can they really get something from that game? I'm not sure. They have had a tendency at times, Degerfors, to pull out an upset when they need it, but there's just a few games in recent weeks, like the serious game that they threw away. That there's just been certain games they're throwing away or not getting points. You know, this Viborg game, really, they should be getting three points there. Already relegated Viborg, who are not really interested anymore. And um, yeah, I'm worried about them, but also probably going to falling at an alarming rate. I mean, you'll tell me the game's coming up. You know, they've both got two games left. Um, I, I struggle to see either of them getting out of it. I think EF Core probably have just about got away with it.
0: Yes, I think... I'll tell you what would be really interesting this weekend. If Bromapoykana, they go to Mialbi, and if they were to win that match, then I think the pressure then starts to really go on EF Core against uh, I Core on, on the Monday. Um and then the final round is is Varberg against EF Core, which a lot of listeners might think, well, that's an absolute bank of three points, but as you pointed out before, that's a local derby, isn't it? And Varberg, Varberg showed against Degerfors that they've nothing to lose now; they'll have a go. They try to win that game more than Degerfors did. Degerfors really struggled. I think they, they've got players missing, like you said, and I, I, I think they're gone. Degerfors, they got Elfsborg away. I don't. I just can't see them living with Elfsborg even though, you know, pressure can do weird things. And then the last game for Degaforce is Mialby at home. And I just think that's the last team you want, because you know what Meowbi are going to be like under Torsson, and they will play right until the 95th minute of the last game. You know, he, they, he will not allow them to slacken off. So I think they're in massive trouble. Brommer is an interesting... Brommer could maybe go... Could they go to Mialby and get a win and catch them off guard? I, I don't know. It's really... It's hard to make a case for these teams getting many more points, isn't it? So it, it might be as you, as, you, as you are. And we're now really the interesting thing is looking to the Super Retton table who who gets into the playoff. And it looks like it's going to be Geis, Utziken or Oster and is going to finish second or third. So, um, yeah, all to play for.
1: Yeah. And of course, you know, if EF Core did somehow find their way into that relegation playoff, they could potentially play a local derby against guys, or um, or against even at Sigtun, who, who are a much smaller club, tiny club, in really in that region. Um, pretty, you know, traditionally a third tier club. Really, to be honest, they are actually they were actually they're actually course feeder club for a while, not too long ago. I think uh, at least five six years ago, they were a feeder club to EFCO, and they could be they could be playing them for a place in Osvenskan, which would be absolutely incredible. Um, but it looks like they course just about done enough. Yensberg Alasku firmly on the pod. Looks like he's just about rescued them when some of the signings, actually, you know, the likes of Santos, McCauley, have come in and done really well. Um Bromapoy can still. I have to be honest, they're, they're they're probably the one team this season. I just can't, I just can't play. So I can't really. We've not spoken about them a huge amount. Sometimes they do quite well. Sometimes they're they're poor. Games that I've expected them to sort of win, they haven't. Like there's been times where they're just a team in general. I don't like predicting or being anywhere near around their games. I remember one game. In from a fantasy point of view, fantasy, or game, I, I think I loaded my team full of players thinking that they'll beat Brom I think it was a hammerby game. Loaded my team with hammerby players and, and uh, Brom and beat them. So it's like, they're really hard to sort of um, pinpoint, you know, um, what exactly to do with Brom and Poikin. So I could see them getting some points from those two last two fixtures that you just mentioned, but at the same time, I could see them getting no points. It's really up in the air. They've had some injuries as well themselves. They've had a few players leaving and, Players going out of form, you know, the likes of um, certain players in their squad who, who sort of started the season really, really well and then tailed off. <sighs> I wouldn't be surprised if they went back down, but I wouldn't be surprised if they stay up. So, really, quite unpredictable. I think one thing's for sure will be will be an interesting last few games. But I, I think Dagenforth hold the key to it all. I really feel like Dagenforth could get four points from their last two games, but I equally don't really see it. I can't. I mean, elsborough would be a massive shock if they get a point there. I could see them winning the last game, so <laughs> flip a coin.
0: Yeah, they could. I, I, I must say, I was for the first. I was really worried what I saw about Degerfors on on the weekend. They couldn't. They didn't even look like beating Varberg, really. So, but you never but know, it, with Degerfors.
1: There is, there is one interesting thing, though, Steve. I don't know if I mentioned it on the last show, but Degerfors are in trouble at the moment because they're ground grading. They haven't passed the regulation for ground grading to get a license for next season's or Allsvenskan. And whenever this happens, Steve, I always think this plays into psychologically in the club's mind. I remember, I think it was Sutton United. There was a season in non-league where Sutton United were going for the title and they were like odds-on to win the league, national league, and they didn't pass the ground grading. And as soon as that was announced, they just they started losing games and they ended up kind of not getting promoted purely because they didn't sort out the ground. And it, I think it was psychologically played in their minds that you know even if we go up, we might not go up. And I'm just worried a little bit about, there's been a lot of talk about, can they, Degafors get their stadium up to the requirements? Is it even fair that they should have these requirements? Degafors have been in the league for the last two, three years. So why should they suddenly say that their ground's not good enough? They've, it's clearly been good enough for the last few years. But I, I saw an appeal that they had from the local council and stuff, urging, you know, the the, the licenses to give them the licence. And can they make the their, you know upgrades that they need to, to keep their licence? But sometimes I think, Steve, when that starts playing into your mind psychologically, it's mm-hmm. like, we might not even be in this league, even if we stay up. And that is a bit of a worry for me. It's like an off-field distraction. Um, I have to say, I've really enjoyed having Deggfors in this league, although I've slammed them a few times in the last two years. There's been a few games I've really gone in at them. But I do find them quite an entertaining <clears> club. <throat> you know, I feel like they they have brought a lot to the league, in my opinion. I, I, w- I would miss them, you know, unlike Varberg, who I think, you know, good good riddance, um, you know, go down, maybe they'll come up again. Varberg, I've got nothing against them, but I think for now they need to go. But Degafors, I would actually be a little bit sad because I think they have got a bit of character about them, Degafors. Even, you know, come win or lose, come what may. I do feel like they add a lot to the league, actually. I quite like them.
0: I think it's quite obvious that Varberg need to go down and sort of, um, you know, restructure themselves. I think Degafors, if they go down, they may well learn some lessons perhaps from relegation and, and come back strong again. I could just see them doing that, Degafors. The playoff... I'll be honest. I, I couldn't see. I don't. I couldn't see EF Core losing the playoff over two legs. I just think they're far too strong against for anyone. Unless it was like guys and weird things can happen, then can't they? But I, I could see. I could see Poikin and, and I could see Degafor's losing that playoff. I think it's easier for the Superettan side compared to the in Norway the Obos side to get promoted. It's just one off two legged matches. There's no other playoffs before then in the Norwegian. I think. You know, the team from Obas has already played about three games. It's really unfair with the scheduling. I think um, there is more chance of the, the Super inside getting through if, if they're good enough. So I think if he's like if it was Bromapoykin against, say, Sickens, could well be a 50-50 call, mate. So more to play for as we go with just two games to go.
1: Yeah, and the final little thing I just want to touch on this week is just the transfer talk. Now, we've had a lot of transfers in our lifetime, Steve, talking about rumours. But we re- it's normally a link to a big European club. Normally Belgium. Uh, if we're lucky, Turkey or the Netherlands. But you know, nine times out of ten, it's Belgium. But maybe sometimes Spain. And actually, increasingly, England now We've got Championship moves: Sifuentes, Ibranić, Benny Traore to the Premier League. But an interesting move that's come up on the radar this week. I just have to report, um, according to one source. Uh, is linking Tashwik Matthews, who's been one of the best players in our Spence game this season, actually, especially below the top, top three, maybe, clubs. Uh, he's been linked to a move, Steve. To, can you guess where?
0: Um, this is going to be somewhere random, isn't it? That's is unexpected. I'm going to say somewhere in France.
1: Somewhere in France. Nope, no, it's not Europe. So, uh, I mean, France, last I checked, France were in Europe.
0: Saudi Arabia.
1: Nope. Very, this is <laughs> very <laughs> niche territory, Steve. He's been linked with a move, obviously being South African, to Kaiser Chiefs. Oh, right. The famous uh, football club slash rock band, so, Lucas um,
0: Radebe's old club.
1: Yeah. Like. Now listen. Sometimes I do com- I do criticize Osprey's players for moving abroad too early or for choosing the wrong club in terms of their career move. But I wouldn't mind seeing a a Kaiser Chiefs move there. That that, that does appeal to me. I mean, <laughs> would that be a step up or a step down from serious? I'm not sure. I guess wage wise, it could potentially be a bigger wage because they are a massive club in South Africa. Um. So I don't actually know if that would be a step up or down. I guess it depends how you look at it. But I, I quite like the I quite like that move. But yeah, that
0: is a run. Well, interesting. That story. is very
1: out there. I mean, I know he's South African, so that 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 makes sense. But I just think from a career point of view, that's an interesting one because I would be very curious to know the wage structure versus Sirius and what they pay. Mm-hmm. If anyone does know, please get in touch and uh, tweet us at Nordic pod let us know. Because I'm I'm curious to know if that would even appeal to Matthews or would he want maybe He's a sort of player who's had a good season, been one of their main players. I could see him getting a move to like a mm. Italy Serie B or, you know, kind of like Netherlands, maybe Belgium. That, but that's quite boring, isn't it? Kaiser Chiefs, that's that's interesting. That's that's different. That is very interesting. So, uh, yeah, I just a sort of postcard. Part one on that uh, interesting note. <laughs> yeah, that is course, part one. Did it again against Hammerby, Came from 2-0 down late on, Castiglain again. Uh, just like it did against Degaforz, I think. Oh, no, it was great actually. But, you know, serious this season. Very unpredictable. And uh, there you go.
0: Yeah, we will uh, finish part one on that note. Uh, join us after the break where we're going to talk about the, uh, the Elite Serian and, uh, you know, some big results on Monday evening in that league. So uh, join us in part two, please.
1: Welcome back to part two of this episode of the Nordic Football Podcast. I think we are on about 171 episodes, maybe 170-ish um, in total. But uh, for now, we're just going to delve into Norway now. Uh, we've had the Sweden section. Norway a little bit behind us. We've still got a sort of five, four or five games to go in the league. Uh, and there's been a lot going on. There's been games this evening, actually, which is quite rare in, in Norway. We did talk in the weekend preview show, Steve, about a few kind of random kickoff times this week. Which I'm sure you've uh, researched. I did. I did employ you on the Patreon to do your research, which I'm sure you've done. Um, but we are going to start the section with a team who are looking likely that they're going to win the title. Um, There's a big result this evening uh, for Buda Glimpse.
0: Yes, Buda Glimpse have moved into the sixty-point mark. Sixty-one points now on the board for them after beating the from three goals to one at home. And uh, I actually tweeted after the game. But now they look like looks like they're going to be one win away from uh, winning the title due to their superior goal difference. But I conveniently forgot there was still one match to play in the round, and uh, kind of didn't expect the result in in that second game, which will come too soon. But they do need, I think, uh, I think another five points to be mathematically secure of winning what would be another. Um, fantastic elite Serian crown they've just they've done they've been a bit like Man City in the last few weeks they've uh, their timing's been impeccable you know they had that little bit of a dodgy run sort of uh, start of autumn if you want to call it that but they've now won five games in a row four of those were at home so they, they kind of knew that the, the fixture list was going to help them but you know, that win they had at Molder does feel like a big one. Uh, looking back now already, that feels like the one that's going to propel them towards this title. The goals are flowing again. Also in Europe, they've been flowing for them. So, you know, they put themselves in a good position. They only need, I think, five points, like I say, to be sure of the title. And they've got Starbeck away and Allison's at home in the next two. So, two sides in the current bottom four. You can't ask for much more than that. And uh, it's looking very good for Bouda Glimpse again. Um, it was a good, deserved win against Lillestrom. Lillestrom weren't no, terrible in this game, but Glimpse's offence was just too strong. They kept battering them with shots. And eventually, yeah, probably the margin should have been by more, but um, a good win for them. And it's looking very, very rosy.
1: It's looking rosy indeed. Goals from Mo, Pellegrino and uh, Brees won Bangama. Uh Roseth narrowed the deficit for uh, Lillestrom, but in the end... Uh, Fairly comfortable win, as you said there for glimpse. Um I quite like your analogy with Man City there. You're right; the timing has been really, really good in terms of their form. There was a period of time during the season, Steve, where you were questioning if they could even win the title. And, you know, you weren't sure about it. It really does feel like they've kind of just hit the, hit the gears at the right time. Is that due to the manager? You know what? You know, if we look at, for example, Man City, who you compared them to, probably the keys to it were kind of the Bruyne and just Pep Guardiola's relentlessness, you know, his ability to draw out the constant wins and obviously Haaland. If we're using that City analogy, what, what would you say have been the keys for Glimt? You know, you've got the manager there, Knutson, of course, you've got certain players. What? what would, where would you put your finger on this kind of sudden rise to form?
0: I think the offence has just risen to, you know, right to the top again. And I think they've almost had the the, the mentality, we'll outscore anyone. And I think when you're in that sort of mentality, a team like Glimt are really dangerous. Uh, you know, there they, they, they haven't been many clean sheets around at all, which tells its own story, but they've been scoring goals for fun. So Pellegrino's really stepped up recently, as, as you'd hope he would, the best player in the league, technically. Um, you know, apart from perhaps Magnus Wolvikram. You know, it's been a brilliant run for him. But they've really embraced the fixture list, Jonathan. They haven't moaned about, you know, playing in Europe, travelling and stuff like that. They had, you know, cup matches as well, domestic cup matches. And I really thought they were vulnerable in this period. I really did. But they've just knuckled down and they've really produced a great set of results. I mean, in all competitions now, I think it's uh, seven wins out of eight with the one loss coming against Club Bruges. We'll let let them off that one, I think. So, yeah, fair play to them. I will say this, though. The opposition have kind of... They've not handled... You know, not gift-wrapped them on a plate, but they've made life easier. You know, Viking were well up there, and they've they've kind of bottled it, really. Brand had a, you know, I think Brand's run was just too late. You know, they won eight in a row, and now, you know, they've dropped points against Sanderfield. Tromso, looking back now, I mean, if they had just beaten Arlesund at home instead of losing to them, they'd only be four points behind. So I think all these other teams can have some some regrets. Even Molder, perhaps, if they'd beaten Glimt, at yeah, that stage they might have stayed in the title race. So I think all those clubs at times can have regrets throughout the season, um, especially, you know, Viking and Tromso recently. I think, uh, you know, we're going to talk about the Tromso match soon, but that, tonight was really the only, the first time in a while that I think a really just looked like actually applying some pressure back on Glimt a little bit but it's, there's not been enough of it in the last three or four weeks.
1: Yeah, and as you say, four, four games to go, uh, 12 points available. They're currently, you know, that that win sort of takes them to uh, seven points clear. So, you know, it's looking, you know, 12 points remaining, looking bleak for Chomzo. But, you know, they're giving it a good go, aren't they, Steve? And uh, there's been a lot of talk about them uh, tonight, a lot of questions. I'm going to actually run through the questions on this because they all relate to one team uh odin at odin's creation uh formerly i think known as ted cruz ate my son uh chomzo are they the real deal uh we've had a question from big sig at big sig five candidate for listener of the year uh, he says chomzo as it stands is second will we see an arctic circle first and second um we've got other questions about Tromzo in general steve there's, there's a lot of them here that i'm trying to get through uh, don't want to miss out any listeners. At Harry Nathan, uh, at Harry Nathan 404, Harry Nathan says, how do you think Tromso could do in Europe? Maybe looking a bit too far ahead maybe, but I don't know if you want to have a comment on that. Uh, Alex Ho, at Alex Ho, Y-O-W. Anyone who predicted Molda won, Tromso 4 is lying with a laughing emoji. Um, and then obviously a question from uh, John Havard Valabrock. Hopefully I've got that correct. Uh, how big of a disappointment a Mulder, according to you guys, this season in the league? Let, let's focus on that result, because uh, tell us what's happened here tonight, Steve. It's been a bit of a shock, hasn't it?
0: Yeah, Mulder 1, Tromso 4 is the final result from the Aker Stadion. And I was, it's one of those games you're watching, especially in the second half, and I'm kind of open mouthed, and I'm generally like, what the effing hell have I just watched here? Um, I actually did say on the, the weekend preview show on Patreon that Tromso were not a bad, uh, bet here on the nose for a small stake, but it was only because of the value in terms of the bookies odds. I didn't expect them to actually come here and legitimately win hands down. Now that's that's the best Tromso performance I've seen this season. Um I couldn't believe it that ta- it was a complete only Moo got tactically outdone completely here. And Moo's an experienced coach. But Tromso's movement and positioning for the players in the 343 system was just they couldn't handle it. Mulder were naive, and that some of the defending and goalkeeping was poor in the second half. But um, that could, honestly, it could have been five or six. They were so dangerous on the break, and, and some of their, their counterattacks were, were absolutely exceptional. Mm-hmm. And looking back, they're a really good underdog, you know, Trump. So they've, they've won away from home um, against four of the top six now. They beat Glimt away. First team to beat Glimt uh, domestically, uh, at Mira Stadion in, in ages. They won 4-3 at Viking the previous week, which was a wild game. that came 3-2 down in, in injury time. They obviously won at Lillestrom as well. And now they've gone at Mulder and won and put four goals there. The only uh, tough location that they, they lost at was brand So really, uh, you've got to give, you ha- you tip your hat to Gauta Hellstrup, who's a brilliant uh, coach. I mean, I'm looking at this squad on paper. It's nothing exceptional. I mean, Mulder even signed a couple of their players this season. So it's a bit embarrassing from Mulder's point of view, isn't it? Um, so I, I, for the first time, you know, tonight, I was looking at that performance and I, bloody hell, if they keep this manager and if they get recruitment right, they they could be up there challenging next season as well, because it's not an amazing 11. But he's obviously got a fantastic coaching pedigree and he's up, he's he's improving, developing these players as well. So that was the first time t- this season tonight that Tromso really made me sit up. And I'm like, yeah, fair, fair play. They fully deserve the win.
1: Yeah, goals from Malik Duf, Mai Triore, uh, and two from Lassa Nordis. And, uh, you know, reply from Christopher Haugen uh, to make it f- you know 4-1 late on. But, um, see, I'm actually going to go back to the Lillis from game for me because I've just watched mm. Pellegrino's celebration after he scored his goal tonight. Is there a bit of a history there? I know he played for Lillestrøm, but he, he's kind of—I don't know if you've seen this. or Any of your listeners maybe have caught this, but he's kind of ran off as if he's going to run to the crowd, and then someone's thrown something onto the pitch. Uh, it looks like a bottle, I think, or something like that, like a you know maybe a plastic bottle. And he, he's picked up the bottle, and he's turned to the Lillestrøm fans and pretended to throw it at them. You know, he's kind of like motioned as if to throw it at them, and then you know pulled out his shoulders. Is there a bit of a history there, or you know, I know you've just said he's the best player in the league. Uh, just to briefly before you go back on to Trondheim and Mulder, but just wanted to ask you quickly about that.
0: I saw that and I, I meant to make, make a mental note to look it up later. I don't know. There was that racism incident when he was at Christensen. Now, I can't honestly remember what club that was against. It might, if it was Lestrom, might be a reason for it. But um, I don't know, actually, um, at this, this stage of recording, whether there is a history of Babylon between the two sides there. Although maybe someone's just thrown something at you. You're going to be pretty pissed off, aren't you? So <laughs>
1: well, it looked as if it was the Glimp fan section who threw something. I don't know for sure, but well, you know, I, really? I
0: don't think, yeah, I don't think there is no away section there. at
1: um, well, there must I be because know. he's definitely he's definitely gesturing at them to, to shut up. And then he takes the bottle and he turns back to the away. he turns back to that section and, and aims to throw it at them. But I think the bottle actually came from the home section for some reason. But um, yeah, I mean, obviously, we don't want to accuse those from if they weren't involved in that in that racism scandal. That you know, probably I think the answer is you don't know. We don't want to kind of like uh, cast aspersions without generally them. don't we know,
0: but there was obviously, but clearly, maybe it's
1: just could, you know, yeah. sometimes there's matches, isn't it, where mm. you get rattled by some fans. Like, I know that if I'd if i been a pro, Steve, I would have definitely been having a bit of that when I was if I'd been a player. <laughs> I think that's part of the fun of football. I, I have nothing wrong with that at all, as long as it's like good humored. Um, it's an emotional game, isn't it, Steve? And one of the things I hate about the Premier League these days is the way that. Any kind of emotion is like yellow, instant yellow card, you know, you're not allowed to show any sort of like mm-hmm. passion for the game. But don't get me get started on that. Um, I mean, this is a massive, you know, surprise, this result. And we had, like I said, we've had a significant amount of questions about it. Um where, where do you sort of see have you have you changed your mind a bit about Tromzo in recent weeks? Because you were quite critical of them at the start of the season, and then you wrote your Wisecout blog. You know, your tunes changed slightly. You did not expect them to he go this far but i i i i sense a bit of a softening Well, you can't knock that performance
0: tonight that's the first time i've generally my eyes have opened up like i'm actually probably the first time i've taken them seriously all season <laughs> after tw- really. after, 20, after 20, yeah. 20, 20. i mean how you, how can you take a team <laughs> look how can you take a team seriously that loses at home to arlston arlston had lost all the away games and then they lose in round 24, a <laughs> home to Allison. That that That's not good enough. If you want to be in challenging for medals, how can you take a team seriously? So it's almost like vindication of where I always was all year. Then they go to Viking and win 4-3. Bit of a crazy game. Like, no, Viking had to go for it. And I'm thinking, no, fair play, they've come back. But that tonight, I thought, was a really good, a top performance in every department, from the players, from the manager, the lot. And I'm like, if, if you repeat that sort of performance, then in consistently long-term, the future is really promising. So, yeah, I, look, this season, I think it's too far. They're, they're too far behind. It's not in their hands. And glint have got favourable fixtures. But um, I'll tell you what, it's, it's going to be really interesting to see. Trump's so I, said, I said in the wisecap blog, they've got a hunger about them. They've been riled and pissed off that their arch rivals have had all this success recently. They want a slice of the pie as well. And I, the motivation at Tromso is incredibly high. You can just sense it from everyone.
1: Is the title race done? And in answer to Big Sig question, is it a 1-2 Arctic Circle finish?
0: Uh, well, Glimt have got one t- really tough away game left at Bran. And I think based on what we've seen from Bran this year, probably Glimt don't win that game. So that's the, the stumbling block. Uh, but they do have Starbeck and Allison next. So you've got to think they get There's probably two wins, let's be real. Um, you know, Bob Bradley might have something to say about that next week, but really glimpse. I think full focus mode should get it done in those next two weeks, and it doesn't matter what Tromso do. Um, but the thing with Tromso, they're better off as an underdog. They're not as good when they're favoured. So I looked at their remaining fixtures, and they look they look nice. But yeah, can you trust a side that can't beat Arlesund at home? That They're really, really good as an underdog against anyone but I think against in these expectation games where certain sides come and play a different way against them that's that's probably the that's going to be the challenge for them going perhaps forward into next season as well and maybe even the last four of this campaign if they are going to secure second spot
1: we'll move on to the medal spots now in a minute obviously third place third place sorry um is currently bran and then we've got v king and fourth modern fifth lillström sixth I just want to ask you quick, quick questions, Steve, early candidates for manager of the season, because you've got Tromzo, manager who you've just mentioned there. Early candidates for manager of the season, please. Top three, maybe. You well, know, it's, it's, it's not a final yeah. answer. It's not like you're going to have to decide it now. But if you were mm. just sort of like putting together a short list, you know, we've had the Ballon d'Or tonight. In, in, in the spirit of the season, if you were starting to put a short list of managers together, what would you be looking at?
0: It's a boring answer this year, but it is the top three clubs currently in the table. It's uh, Jethil and Gata Holstrup. And I've actually forgotten the brand manager's name. I've had a brain fart here. Eric Cornerland. Of course, Arik Um It has to be. Uh, there's no one else really for me that stood out. You know, like in, in Sweden, you know, you've got over overachieving. There's not really any other club that's, uh, that's done, a manager that stood out in that way. So, yeah, them top three.
1: I thought that was a strategic brain fart after some of the comments about Horniland in previous years when he was at Rosenborg. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I know what your brains like Steve sometimes. You know, you ignore, ignore things that don't maybe suit your argument. But uh, fair enough that you remembered. Um, I mean, on the subject of managers, and in the spirit of the title of this episode, of course, uh, we can't ignore what happened the week before these matches, Steve, because uh, arguably the biggest incident in Norwegian football since we've done this podcast, maybe, potentially. Um, I I don't know where you even want to start with this. I mean, we talked about it on the weekend preview show, but we haven't talked about it on the main show. Uh, And I think our listeners would be actually disappointed if we didn't touch on this, because uh, you did the breaking news. It's a huge story. You did the breaking news on YouTube when it first broke, and the two teams did play each other, and... We, we saw quite a lot of people going viral this weekend didn't we last weekend tweeting stuff about Norwegian football all of a sudden even though they, they sort of don't necessarily tend to cover this league you have actually covered this league for a long time so see we have to talk about Lillis drum and Wallerenga. um please take take the floor or, you know tell the for people who don't know mm. tell the fans or listeners of this podcast what what happened and uh give you a meat man soccer take on it
0: well, the story starts obviously back in in the middle of the summer where a sensational manager switch happened. Volerenger um hired the current Lillisham coach, Gar Now the story these two sides absolutely hate each other. It's arguably the biggest rivalry in Norwegian football these days. Um, you know, proper blood, blood. It's the equivalent of moving from, you know, Rangers to Celtic. Mid season or Liverpool to Man United as a manager, you just don't do it. And you know, I did, you know, I gave a react, it was such an r- incredible story. I did a reaction video, the only time I've ever done a <laughs> reaction video <laughs> on the Football podcast. It was such big stuff. And I did say in that reaction video, he's gonna need like an arm guard and everything for the return match yeah. at Arsenal Stadium. And, um, you know, he knew he was in for a rude, you know, a hostile reception. And this was uh, on the 22nd of October, a couple of uh, weekends ago. A uh, big derby game. Uh, lundstrom Volarenga, And, yeah, it, this, I mean, the reaction he got even, you know, before a ball was kicked was they were baying for his blood. Who's, who's this? Um, who's the man Gerbacher? Man? Gerbacher. Gerbacher. Um, you know, experienced head. I think he's in his 50s. And, you know, I still don't know why the hell he moved. I still don't know. And it could prove to be a shocking decision. They could get relegated. Um, more on their form in a minute. But, yeah, you know, it was an even match. And then Lillersham got themselves ahead, I think, um, from a corner. Uh, Roseth who actually scored against Glint tonight as well. And then approaching half time, this is the big story of the game, as I'm sure everyone's seen. Uh, a massive Tifo was unveiled right above the the players' tunnel as they were about to go into the halftime dressing room. And, and the image of, on this uh, Tifo was depicted, basically, Gare yeah, Becker in, in the Hangman's Noose. And, I mean, what sort of creature is is this depicted? It's like a cross between Gollum from Lord of the Rings. Um, you know, there was like a snake-like tail weighed down by a uh, money bag. Um, you know, it, it's like the is the fur on the outside like it was like a gorilla or something. It's like, um, part, longer... it's like part beaver, isn't it?
1: Part beaver, part rat.
0: <laughs> yeah, part rat, snake. Part snake. It's an incredible TIFO. <laughs> I mean, it's the TIFO of the year, isn't it? I mean, like I see this in my sleep, I think. I mean, he... <laughs> I've never seen anything like it before.
1: and right It's it very, right. it very lifelike as well. The fa- they've put some real <laughs> detail into his face as well. That's the thing. It's not only an animal, but it's like they've it probably got the detail of his face. I mean, it's,
0: it's right in front of you. As you as you as everyone's walking down the tunnel, you can't possibly miss it. It was huge, it was absolutely massive. massive. And I couldn't <laughs> believe what I was seeing. And then you know, within you know, within the next hour, it's going viral on Twitter accounts that don't normally care about Norwegian football, you know. And I'm like, Wow, it's like, could you believe what you're seeing? But I mean, what a day for Lillustrum fans, they beat him 2-0, and that you know, that's a massive result for them. But a huge blow for Volerenga, and, and we're gonna talk about their match against Rosenborg soon. But my word, is, I bet Gerbacher, when he saw that, was thinking, Why the hell did I
1: bother? <laughs> I mean, I think the best part of that was. I mean, to be honest, it was in in the end, it was it, it there was no kind of, it wasn't like a Leon it was it Grosso, who obviously, you know, no. we've, all seen, we've all heard what happened no, there, no, no. He get attacked. It was kind of good humour in the end, although it must have been pretty traumatic for him. But there was one image when I saw it of like him when he was he was walk. I think it's like a bit like Burnley, isn't it? You've got to walk from like the dugout to the opposite end of the pitch to get off the pitch, and um, he's walking across the pitch, isn't it? And he's he's just got his head down. (laughs) They timed it perfectly because you you expect something. Yeah, you expect at the start of the game. Massive banner and it's actually quite the, the camera zoomed in on his face. And yeah. I was looking at his face, and then I was looking at the teeth, and I was like, "They've actually, they've actually got his face like spot on, you know." They have nailed do- it. Whoever's made that tifo has put some. It's a tifo
0: of the year, it really is, <laughs> and it's it's absolutely brilliant, and like that, they perfectly executed the timing, didn't they? Like, I just, it's unbelievable, and um,
1: you know, I mean, it was like about big of, as big as I don't know where who eventually that is. I mean, that's like. Andre the Giant's bedsheet, isn't it? I mean, who was bedsheet that
0: is? I was just thinking, when who,
1: who actually put that up there? It's like half I mean, the size of the stadium. It's not the it's easiest big... place to get up
0: there. I mean, <laughs> someone might have even—I mean, I'm looking at it now, actually—but there probably is like a, a, a gantry or something. But otherwise, someone's climbed up to the roof to do this. <laughs> and um, yeah, there's been—it's been meticulously planned. This is—it really has—and. Um and, Goodness me. I mean, I mean you kind of hope they stay up so we can see the reaction next year, don't you? Um, well, it's, only if football
1: do you get these moments. I think it's just, you know, you, you would never get in any other sport. you? It's just, it's remarkable. That, if you have not seen that TIFO, you need to get on a Nordic Football Twitter account, scroll down, go on YouTube, wherever you can find it. Because uh, Of course,
0: it says Judas right on the top of the forehead as well, which I forgot to I mean, mention. It's, 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 perfectly it's,
1: it's definitely a picture. But, uh, I mean... You know, on a serious note, Steve, they they are are in massive trouble, aren't they? They are. Um, You know, what is the latest there with the relegation battle? Well,
0: I said on the the weekend preview show, um, this is the one I got wrong. I thought Volo Inga would would easily beat Rosenborg. But I kind of forgot how big a rivalry this used to be. You kind of, when both teams are struggling so much, you kind of forget that these two really, this was one of the premier fixtures for many, many seasons in in Norway. It probably still is in a way, but you're Rosenborg would bang up for it. Probably because they still need point needed points as well, but they had a good counter attacking game plan here. But really, Vorwinger missed their chances, and they've had a home record is shocking. They've they've got the worst home record. They've only won two out of thirteen games at home with nine losses. I think they feel the pressure of the fans. A lot of players were clutching at chances and missing them. They missed a penalty just after halftime. That would have made it two all, and that was a that looks a massive miss now. If they score that, they might go out to win the game. But they've gone and lost against um, Rosenborg, And you know what I'm feeling now? It's one of those situations you get this occasionally in certain leagues when a big club goes down there and is in trouble. And I think everyone's up for it against Volarenga now. I think the rest of the league would like to see them go. So there's no, like, dead rubbers now. I think even if they're playing, like, a mid-table side in the last four games, the opposition are going to be up for it because they want to see Volarenga go down. It's got to that state, you know, it sometimes happens, doesn't it, where... You know, if it was, say, the mid, yes, you could easily down tools and be like, oh, I don't really care. It doesn't really matter if Horgerson stay up or whatever. It's anger And the story with Backer, it's a huge story now. I think they're in for a really, really tough last four games. And I'm really starting to worry about them.
1: Yeah, a word unreasonable because because uh, in the weekend preview show, you kind of, you know, we did sort of a little bit jokingly kind of talk about them maybe going, even going down. Um, and they've reacted quite well here with a decent win. I mean, I one player caught Meyer Nelson uh looked pretty decent. I mean what what's your assessment of reasonable after that game? Just was it just a one-off good performance or is it Wolarengo you know lacking in confidence? What would you say about that game in terms of from a reasonable point of view?
0: Well someone asked I think a question of whether they should keep Svein Marlon as manager uh the next season. I, I don't think I would personally nothing against Marlon. I actually quite like him as a coach and a manager. And if they did stick with him I wouldn't be um opposed to it as such but they've got to back him. Um, they've got big problems with injuries, uh, but they haven't been playing well. I mean, their goalkeepers saved uh, penalties in both of the last two games. So that, I mean, if those penalties are scored, suddenly Rosenborg are leave, looking far less points than they've got now. Um, but they did have a good counter-attacking game plan. I think the away fans really boosted them in this game. There was a big contingent that travelled down. i say it's quite a historical big game. So I think they, were, they felt um, the presence of their fans. And they, you know, they've got some good young players going forward, you know, fast players. Nelson, when he plays, you know, he's been injured a bit and he's he, he's been up and down. But when he plays, he's been quite good. It's one of those seasons that just need to survive and they should have enough points now. Um, rip rip up this season, start again, look at recruitment, get a manager in place early. Don't mess around with that and, and back the manager to a style that he wants. Um, I mean, I wouldn't personally go with Marlon. But he, he he does have an affinity for the club and um, perhaps, you know, giving him the right backing could be worth going. But, um, I mean, 10th place, that's not good enough.
1: Yeah, Nelson might be one to watch goal and assist in this game. He actually looked really sharp to me. Uh, I thought the first assist was quality, final ball especially, and, and, you know, pace of his run. And then his second goal was brilliant, I thought. I thought I was, sorry, his goal was brilliant as well, I thought. You know, lovely one-two edge of the box, runs into the area and taps it home. I thought that was a brilliant goal. So maybe some, some shoots of green positivity and hope for, for Rosenborg there. Of course, they've got Nipan as well Who's you know, I think he's a sensational talent. Um, let's, let's move on to, you know, we talked a little bit about the relegation battle. I mean, we've got one or two further questions. Steve, mainly around Viking before we let you go. So I did want to ask you. Uh, well, I, you know, John havard Valerbrook's question, how big of a disappointment are Molde, uh this season in the league? Let, let's answer that one quickly first.
0: Yeah, disappointing. I had them to win the league, didn't I? And they're going to finish. They look landlocked in fifth place now. So I think they'll focus on the Europa League for the rest of the season and finish fifth. They're going to have to win the Norwegian Cup, we think, to get back in Europe next season. I don't know what's happened. They just had a bad run at the start and now they've lost three games now. But... In the midst of all that, they had a 12 game unbeaten streak where they won a lot of fixtures. Um, it's not, I don't think it's any need to panic. I just think Erling Moore is still the right man for them, and I still think they, they do a lot of things right. But when you've got a target on your back after being champions, it, it can be difficult sometimes. So uh, they just pay for they were always chasing after a difficult start, and that is really challenging in football.
1: Yeah, and just on you, <clears throat> just on the question that you mentioned about Rosenberg, you know, we were you, the question you were asked about the manager, uh, that was from Showtime Barisha. So thanks a lot again, candidate for Listener of the Year, I'd say, uh, at Barisha Show, been a fantastic contributor to this podcast this season. I see many of a question of his, and he's been really engaged. So thank you to Showtime Barisha, loyal supporter of the pod, um, and that so that answers his question. You've answered there, of course, the question from uh, for our man as well. Um, John Havan of Valabrook, hopefully that answers your question. Uh, Meat Man, I don't know about the uh, Tromso, how they could do it in Europe question. Um, let, let's see if they get there first and maybe we'll answer that one from Harry Nathan. But thank you for your question. He also had a question about uh, here, you know, from Oslo, of course, in, in Obos. Um, but I would like to move on to Viking. A uh, question from at Guppy Fish, Guppy FPL. What caused Viking to stumble? Uh, as simple as tiredness or fatigue? Uh, and that's in relation to their defeat they've had um, against Simms Godset. Godset, yeah. Won, uh... um,
0: I think it's a shame for Viking. I really do. I think they've not been terrible in these games. It's just, you know, maybe they won a few close ones and um, it, eventually you're going to lose a few close ones, aren't you? So uh, I mean it's really hard to, um, to pinpoint it exactly. But I'll tell you one man who's been a big loss for them. Uh, David Breckolo, the um, Slovenian defender, has been, he'll get in the team of the year, my team of the year, the the centre-back. If you look now, in the last six games, he has only played 90 minutes once. And I think you can look back at these results and that's that's a massive difference, isn't it? And the 90 minutes he played, they won. Um, You know, he's been injured, he's not been fully fit. I just think he's not necessarily just a good defender for them, but he's like a heartbeat of the team. He organises the rest of the defence. So it could just come down to, you know, that is definitely a factor, but also experience of being involved in a title race. I said they didn't know when to stick or twist. Against Odd, they, 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 they stuck and they should have twisted. Against Tromso, there was panic that set in at times. They had a good comeback and then they blew it and then they lost everything. In injury time, so just experience, Jonathan. I, I think they'll look back and they'll be like, "Yeah, this was maybe a missed opportunity." To and they might not even get a medal now. I mean, how harsh would that be? I mean, they have they deserve a medal, really, but it, you know, you don't get what you deserve sometimes. And you know, there is teams like Tromso and Bran wanting to to get the silver and bronze and as well. So um I really feel sorry for Viking because what was a very promising season has uh, has turned sour.
1: Yeah, it's been a good year for the underdog. El Sport currently obviously top um, in in, in Sweden. You've got Bran who've done so well, newly promoted, of course. Uh, Chomzo as well, a bit of an underdog, especially where you're concerned. Do have a question quickly from Lord Moldavort, at L Moldavort on on, uh, X or Twitter. How would you rate uh, Eichmann's performance versus Hacken in the Europa League? We didn't obviously talk about that game on the main show. Um, uh, Molda 5, Haken 1. Something that, you know, I don't particularly want to talk about really, but we did we did talk about it on the weekend preview show on Patreon, patreon.com slash Podcast. So, you know, if you want extra bonus content, we do have that for you. Uh, we've got quite a few listeners on there who support us uh, on that. Just very briefly, Steve, you know, a c- couple of words on, on on the game and obviously the uh, performance from Ikram.
0: Well, I'm just actually looking at Ikram's minutes now in Elite Serian. And I mean... I, I didn't actually realise he'd played so few minutes this season. He's become like a Ledley King. I, he's not played more than 79 minutes in a single game this year. And and this might be a, another reason why Mulder have struggled at times. Um, his lack of involvement, but there's no doubt about it. When he's on Song, he's still technically brilliant and he's one of the best players in the league. And he ran the show against Hecken in, 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 the Euro, in, in that Europa League game. Um, the difference between the two sides was the quality of finishing and decision-making in the final third of the field. Simple as that. And um, there's a reason, you know, Magus wolf you know, he scored directly from a free kick. I think there was an assist in there as well. He just bossed, it, bossed things around. And, yeah, it's um, he's a fantastic player to watch. And I think Mulder was wished that he was, uh, you know, on the field probably more for them for whatever reason or other. And, um, you know, but I'm sure they'll now protect him and, and they're, they're really going to focus hard on those last three Europa League games and hopefully qualify out of the group or at very worst, finish third.
1: Yeah, thanks for your question, Lord Mulder. Probably not an exaggeration to say Wolf Wacken is... If we were doing the Hall of Fame, Steve, I think he'd make it. You know, he's been at Malmo since we started this pod. Obviously, he moved on to, to Mulder. He's, he, he's had a trouble sort of um, last few years off the field. <clears throat> I'd say he'd be a candidate for Hall of Fame. I wonder who else would make our sort of Hall of Fame if we were doing one. I definitely can think of a few. Um, but maybe we'll save that for another day, maybe Christmas episode, you know, when we have a few few uh, shandies. Um, I think that'll be it for this week's show. Uh, most listener questions we've addressed. So uh, I think Harry Nathan, maybe, if you want to ask your questions about Tromzo again next week, because we have talked about them quite a bit, and obviously Kay from Oslo, we can maybe have a look at Obos. We did cover Obos a couple of episodes ago. Uh, Just a quick know.
0: one, Jonathan, on on relegation. Uh, I'm not going to give like predictions or lowdowns on that, but this might be a bit of a curse of the Meat Man, because you asked me a question. I think it might have been on the last show. Which two teams are you conf- are you more confident that can get out of trouble? And I said Hamkam and Volarenga, and I don't think either of them have got a point since. So apologies to both out there
1: um, I think Tom Dent's going to be sending you sending you the bill at, uh, at some point if that well it's
0: like as soon as i I'm like I've opened my mouth it's, it's turned disastrous for both especially volorenga since um, most comments of mine at least Hamcam have got a little bit of a cushion
1: what, but, what's your I you know. mean we haven't talked about Hamcam too much in recent weeks what, what's your current take on them you know like you just said they've just gone off the board a little bit
0: well, they just lost two games, three nil at home to Harguson. Who? Someone asked a question about Harguson. There's resurgence. Um, they've just timed it really well again. They just have a knack of getting out of trouble. Probably a good change of manager there. I didn't. I, I mean, I didn't, certainly didn't see Hamcam losing at home three 0 to Harguson, or and then two nil away against Odd. I, I just, those looked like games that were very, very possible to get points out of. Um, I don't really know what's gone wrong. I've looked at the stats. They look like they've got outplayed. I've seen the highlights and. Yeah, you know, they made probably mistakes at the wrong time. Um, you know, they'll cut I mean, four games left. And there's the sort of team would kind of surprise you actually when you least expect them to. So um, but you know, that that those were matches that I at this stage I actually thought Ham Cam would be in what Holgerton's position. And we're probably talking about them being pretty much safe, but not to be.
1: Yeah, and of course, uh, <clears throat> for those who just sort of sort of wondering, um, the, the table's currently looking like at the bottom of the league, of course. The table's currently looking like uh, we have Arlison Rockbottom, 16th place. Uh, Sandefjord as well in the relegation zone. Wallerenga in the relegation playoff currently in 14th, followed by Starbeck and ham Cam, and then Halgerson and then Rosenborg. So, um, yeah, a one-point gap between Starbeck, uh, who was just outside it, and Wallerenga inside the relegation playoff. So yeah, about seven points between bottom of the league and, and Starbeck there in thirteenth, and then have come up two 15th. other
0: points. The playoff, I always think the playoff really helps Elite Assyrian teams with the scheduling. So if you finish in that playoff, I think you've got a really good chance of staying up. And I think whoever does finish in that spot will have some sort of momentum to go into that playoff. Secondly, Starbeck, Bob Bradley, he's four unbeaten now, and he's brought his son over. You might have seen this. Um Michael Bradley, who just retired um, from professional soccer, um, played his last game for Toronto. He's come over as an assistant manager. And he, I don't think I think he's voluntary. I don't think he's getting paid or anything. So, uh, interesting addition to this backroom staff. At the minute, they're grinding out results. So, um, you know, the two Bradleys in it together now for the last four games at Starbeck.
1: Double Bradley. I think I've seen managers buying their sons, but I've never seen a manager making their son assistant manager. I don't think that's, that's quite a new one. If you've got any father-son-manager combinations, please tweet us at Nordic Pod. But if not, that'll be it for now. Uh, we shall be back soon, of course. But uh, hopefully that gives you your Scandinavian football fix of the week. My name's Jonathan Faduba, of course. You can find me at JF Football F-U-T-B-O-L, on Twitter or X, as you want to call it. And uh, Steve, where can we find you these days?
0: You can find me at Meatman Soccer on X, <laughs> as it's known now. And uh, of course, you can follow at Nordic Foot Pod. And um, yeah, that's it. We're not on TikTok or Instagram yet, or maybe you are. But
1: no, not a big TikTok fan. Actually, yeah, I'm trying to delve into it. because It's quite popular, but um, <laughs> you can you can find me on on Instagram, actually, on JFootball Football as well. But uh, I don't really use it as much. But uh, Patreon is where you can also find me. So you know, if you want to contribute, Patreon.com/slash/NordicFootballPodcast, we massively appreciate our loyal supporters. we had a few new um, subscribers in, in the recent weeks. We always appreciate it. It helps keep the podcast going and keeps our motivation levels high, doesn't it, Steve? So uh, that'll be all. Appreciate I appreciate it. I it also want
0: to say before we go, I do appreciate some of the emails we had recently, uh, especially the uh, the ones of encouragement. Um, and uh, I want to especially give a big shout out to Alexander Christensen, who's been a, a real loyal supporter of the podcast over the last few years. And, um, I appreciate what you uh, what you said to us in the email, Alexander.
1: Meatman doesn't want to talk. About, he doesn't want to talk about the uh, email hate hate emails that we get. He said he just wants to, <laughs> the emails of <are> encouragement, <laughs> not the other ones. Or asking to, asking us to do stuff. Uh, but anyway, that'll be all for now. Um, looking forward to the next show, of course, because we're we're right in the thick of things now with with both title races and everything happening. It's the business end of the season, and we will see you very soon on the Nordic Football Podcast. So for me, it's goodbye. Goodbye,
0: everyone. Take care.